Today's reading is from Luke 4, verses 1 to 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, evening, everyone. If we've not met, my name's uh, Matt Fuller. And uh, we're, spending, uh, we're starting a new little series then in um, Luke chapters 49. We'll be here most of the term uh, in these sections. Uh, I think we'll enjoy looking at the Lord Jesus uh, together uh, here in Luke's Gospel. So let me, um, let me pray as we begin. Let me lead us in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our champion. He is our Savior. He is the one who conquered where all of us fail. And Father, would we once again, as we turn to look at this perhaps familiar incident, delight in him and learn from him. We do pray it for the honor of his name's sake. Amen. Now, I somewhat presume that um, come the end of the service, I will turn back on my phone and, and Australia would have regained the ashes and many congratulations, probably, but um, maybe not. Uh, but let me take you back two weeks ago when we all dreamt, and, uh, well, not all of us, perhaps, but uh, Englishmen and women who love their cricket, you don't need to know a huge amount because it sort of made the front pages of the newspaper. So here was uh, Ben Stokes, I think we've probably got him, having... Um, heroically, just magnificently, uh, well, on the Saturday, bold, sort of 24 over, overs. Look, if you don't know cricket, that's impressive. Um, and then uh, on the Sunday played what most cricket commentators would suggest was the greatest innings ever, uh, given the context of the match, given the pressure he was under. It was phenomenal. And uh, there is his guttural roar uh, at the end as he scored uh, the winning runs. It was magnificent. 
And um, uh, I don't know where you were. I, I was had to be away and um, couldn't have a telly. That was a shame. But anyway, listening to it. And um, there was others, clearly, I was just on my headphones. Uh, others clearly listened as well, because where we were all sat, there's all of a sudden a lot of people jumped up on this beach where we were uh, on the bank holiday weekend. And there was lots of punching of the air. And I think, I think you're listening to the same as me. Um, because there was a sense, it was extraordinary, but there's a sense in which you get caught up in the moment and therefore the, the fate of the country and its reputation is, is, is on the shoulders of one man. And it was extraordinary that one man carried such a burden and triumphed. And that was a fortnight ago. And things change. <laughs> you come to Matthew chapter 4, and it's a bit more important because Jesus carries the fate of humanity's eternal destiny upon his shoulders. And it's one man. And as he triumphs through resisting temptation, we triumph. And had he failed, we'd have been lost forever. The fate of humanity rests in this moment upon one man's shoulders. And that mattered. He alone triumphed so that you and I could become children of God. It matters. Look, we're going to look at it very simply. Um, the hero, that's him, Jesus. The temptations and our response. We're just going to work through those three. Uh, most of the time we're in the middle one on the text and the temptations in detail. The hero then, let's look at the hero. As I say, most of this term we're going to be in uh, Luke chapters 4 to 9. That's Jesus in Galilee. It's a geographical marker. You get to the end of chapter 9, verse 51. He sets his face for Jerusalem. And uh, uh, there's the, the, the sort of emphasis of the text somewhat changes as more and more confrontation uh, builds. But here in chapters 4 to 9, primarily we're asking, who is this man and why has he come uh, in this section of it? Uh, if you were here back in February, we got as far as chapter 3 and uh, on the weekend away, and um, here's, we had some in pointers, very clear pointers as to who he is and why he came. If you turn back to chapter 3, just back a page in verse 21, this is Jesus' baptism. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Extraordinary. God rips open the heavens and says, you need to know, this is my son. Uniquely so. So on one hand, that the unique son of God but then this long, and um, I spared you the reading again, we've had it before, but this long genealogy that runs from chapter 3, verse 23, all the way to the end of that chapter. And you see the genealogy, it starts off um, with Jesus, he's the son of Joseph, and it goes all the way back to chapter 3, verse 38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Here is, in a sense, the whole of humanity tied into this one man. We've gone all the way back to the very first man in history, Adam. 
And he was placed in relationship with the Lord, and he was placed in the Garden of Eden, and he failed. He disobeyed. He gave in to temptation. And as a consequence, humanity was lost, shut out of God's presence. And Luke goes all the way back and says, here, here is another man. Going all the way back to Adam, there's a sense in which he's our second chance. He's the second Adam. And the whole of humanity is tied into him, this one. This son of God, who is son of man, the fate of humanity rests on his shoulders. And he's going to face temptation now. What will this second Adam do? What will our second chance do in the face of temptation? That's what's going on. Of course, what comes along is the devil comes along, the master of lies, just as he was there in the Garden of Eden, and he tempts Jesus to abandon trust in his father. And if Satan, the devil, had succeeded and Jesus had given in, you and I would have been lost and without hope and no chance of heaven and only hell. It matters. Jesus alone triumphed so that we could become the children of God. He's our hero. What are we told just in this introduction? Chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Two references to the Spirit, i.e. this man is utterly dependent upon God, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. 40 days, significant biblically, Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God saves his people, and Moses goes up the mountain, Mount Sinai, to speak to the Lord for 40 days. And Moses fasts during that time for 40 days. So we're thinking, oh, okay, this is a bit like Moses in the Old Testament. But Moses and the Israelites failed. And so for 40 years, they had to wander around in the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula. So here is one, like Adam, a new Adam, like Moses and the Israelites, Adam failed, they failed. What will this man do? Striking that all the quotes that Jesus responds to, to Satan are all from the book of Deuteronomy. Again, the contrast where Israel was given God's word and failed to obey it. Jesus was given God's word and did the contrast. So that's how he's presented. Do you, do you see this is the drum roll that Luke gives? What will happen this time? He's the hero. Let's look at the three temptations then. This is where we spend most of our time. Three times Satan comes to Jesus and tempts him. What's the first? Verses three and four. Here's the question. Will you avoid the path of hardship? Verses three and four. Will you avoid the path of hardship. Let me read. The devil said to him, Jesus, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. Now, what's the temptation here? If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. I mean, Jesus could have said, look, I am the son of God. I can do better than bread. I'll have a chicken jalfrezi with a corner and a cider. You know, he could have done anything he wanted, of course. Of course he could. Not just a naan bread or whatever bread it was of. But what's the, what is the temptation? I guess you'd say it's inappropriate use of Jesus' power. 
So he's not eaten much or anything for 40 days. Of course, he's hungry. Essentially, the devil comes along to him and says, God is treating, your, God is treating you badly. Jesus, you need to look after yourself. Because God's not giving you any food. Hey, look, if, if you're God, you can knock up a meal for yourself pretty quickly, pretty easily. Jesus, you can make life easier for yourself. Why live with this God, your father, who's, I mean, let's be honest, being a bit mean to you? Go easy, Jesus, on yourself. Jesus clarifies that's what's going on. He quotes from Deuteronomy 8. Let me give you the context of that so it may pop up on the screen. Uh, back in the book of Deuteronomy. This is Moses speaking, explaining what happened uh, in the past. Moses addressing the Israelites just before they enter the promised land. Moses declares, he, God, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years that you're wandering round and round in the wilderness. The point there that Moses makes and Jesus is picking up on, he's not saying... Food is irrelevant. Hey, it's my new diet. It's better than FODMAP or whatever the trendy diet is. I just read the Bible. I don't eat food. That is not his point. His point is, as well with more than just natural, than what we see in the natural world, we're dependent upon God to provide. So for the Israelites, they were given for 40 years. They never had to get new shoes. Their shoes didn't run out. They never had to go shopping to Sainsbury's. Food arrived every morning on the ground. God supernaturally provided for them. Jesus is saying, I, I, I don't provide for myself just by human resources. I depend upon God. I depend upon my Father. I trust Him. See, the devil essentially says, look, you can't trust God to look after you. You have to provide for yourself. And Jesus says, no, no, I, I trust him. I don't have to just get everything myself. I trust his word. He's promised to provide for me. Essentially, I guess Jesus here is learning that his mission involves self-denial. He's learning, as Hebrews would put it, obedience as a human He's learning to trust his father through adversity, through hardship, through no food for 40 days. He's learning obedience here. He says, no, I won't avoid the path of hardship. I'll take the path of hardship and trust God in it. What does that look like for you and for me, I wonder? Well, it's quite easy to think that way, isn't it? I, I don't trust God to provide for me, to care for me. Therefore, I'll take a shortcut. Therefore, I'll do things my way. Quite easy, I think. I don't want to avoid, I don't want, excuse me, I don't want to go through hardship. So let me find another way that I can think of. Uh, I, um, I don't want to lower my credibility at work, so I won't let anyone know I'm a Christian because someone might think less of me. So I won't do that. I'll avoid the path of hardship. I don't want to serve others. That's inconvenient. I'll just do things entirely on 
my terms. I don't know what it'll be. But Jesus took the path of trusting God through hardship rather than an easy option. That's what he did. That's the first temptation. Will you avoid the path of hardship? The second is this. Will you worship falsely to gain power? I think that's what's going on here. Verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, presumably in some sort of vision. And uh, the devil said to Jesus, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it'll be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So again, what's the temptation for Jesus? I guess, again, it's a shortcut. You can have the kingdoms of the earth without going through the cross, Jesus. I mean, currently, your plan is endure horrific suffering, bear the wrath of God, and then inherit the kingdoms of the world. I'll just give them to you. You don't have to go through the pain. You don't have to go through the suffering. I'll just give them to you now. Brilliant. Shortcut. Just one condition. You worship me. That's the condition. Now, Jesus would know. We pick up, you know, he knows from the Old Testament, classically places Psalm 2, Daniel 7, that he will inherit, that God's son will inherit all the kingdoms of the earth. He'll know that's a promise that's given to him. And so he says, Deuteronomy 6, quoting that, no, no, no. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I can't split my loyalty and... I care too much about being... Okay, whichever path I take, Satan, I'm going to inherit the kingdoms of the earth. But I care too much about my sonship of my father. And I care too much about other people to take the shortcut without the pain. What does this look like for you and me? Will we worship falsely to gain power? Well, you can't split your loyalty in that way. Sometimes it comes acute. I think the worst case I've heard was um, there's a guy who's here at church in the morning. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, he's a lawyer, and he's very good at his job. And a number of years ago, a senior partner said to him, you, you have a great future here. Just a few more years, and you'll be a senior partner, equity partner. You'll be earning a, a very high six-figure salary, might even knock seven on good years. You've just got to worship the firm for the next two years. And of course, the Christian man said, that was a bad choice of phrase. Because <laughs> even as a bad day as a Christian on the office, someone says, you just need to worship me and this office rather than your God. Something in my head just rings a bell and goes, that ain't right, is it? I, I, uh, I'm not having the best day as a Christian or the best week, but I know that's not right. Uh, and so he declined, and it was probably time uh, for him to move firms. Uh, but rarely do we get it that bluntly put to us. Not many of us will be given that sort of choice. But I don't know. Are you conscious of it? Will you worship your employer rather than the Lord your God? I think that's the shortcut to riches and contentment. Will you worship your reputation so much you lie to achieve power and wealth? I guess the temptation looks a bit like that. Will you avoid the path of hardship? Jesus did not. Will you worship falsely to gain power again, taking a shortcut? Jesus did not. Third temptation. Will you lack trust in God's protection of you? 
verses 9 to 12. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem, presumably some sort of vision again. It would have been a bit obvious. Who's that? It was son of God and Satan. Oh, that's interesting. Um, And uh, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, because the Bible says you should, Jesus, it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard carefully, guard you carefully. They will lift lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So slightly more subtle from uh, the devil. He says, let me quote the Bible. Let me quote Psalm 91. Tangent, hopefully an obvious point to make. You will encounter plenty of people in life who quote the Bible and distort it so it says lies. Don't go to a church and say, well, they, they read the Bible at the front, therefore it must be a Christian church. Absolutely not. The devil quotes the Bible. He's not a Christian, if you're in doubt. Okay? Is it explained, are verses used in context? Does it cohere with the rest of the Bible's truth? Plenty of people quote the Bible and tell you nonsense. Make it say the opposite of what it means. Fortunately, Jesus is good enough to spot that. But what's the temptation here? Again, I think it's, it's doubting God's provision and therefore testing him. Jesus' quote, verse 12, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, it comes from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me just give you a little bit of extra context for it. So Moses, again, speaking to God's people, the Israelites, says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Well, what do the Israelites do at Massa? Well, it's back in um, uh, Exodus 17, 14. And um, uh, at Massa, the Lord had just rescued the Israelites from slavery. But they're in the desert, and there's a shortage of water. And so the Israelites say, does God really care? I mean, it was pretty good back in Egypt, you know. At least they had water. And uh, does God not love us? Does not God not care for us? Did God just bring us out of here to die? And the Lord says, why are you testing me? The test was grumbling, complaining, was the nature of how they tested the Lord. Can we trust God to provide or not? It seems here again, the devil is saying to Jesus, you can't trust God to protect you. You need to test him. Because you can't trust his word when he says he'll protect you. You can't believe that. You need to test him out. And Jesus says, no, I don't. I don't doubt him. So I don't test him. Quite simple. For you and me, I don't know, we can easily grumble and doubt God's provision. We can make demands of God. I'll only follow you if you provide me a job. Otherwise, I'm out of here. I'll only give money to gospel work if you give me a new relationship. Well, I'm out of here, Lord. Silly tests. Or you trust him. Like Jesus did. Three tests, and Jesus trusted his father. What do we do with something like this? I mean, it may be such a familiar story to you. What do you do with this account in um, Luke chapter 4? Let me suggest two things. 
Rejoice and resist. Just those two. Rejoice. First, the most obvious thing you do with something like this is you rejoice in the hero. You rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Three times then, Jesus is tempted to show a lack of trust in God's fatherly care. And three times he says, no, I trust him. Three times Jesus is tempted to avoid suffering and abuse his power just for his own comfort. And he says, no, I will take the path of the cross for the sake of other people. Three times Jesus is tempted to serve himself and ignore the mission he's got for others. And three times he says, no, I'm sticking with my mission, the salvation of the earth. Praise him. Maybe so familiar. But each and every time he was faithful. Give thanks. He resisted temptation when Adam did not, when Israel did not, when you and I did not, and have not. Where every person who's ever walked this planet failed, he won. Praise him. Next time you're conscious that you've screwed up, given in to temptation, you can pause and say, oh, rats. Jesus, you never did. You are extraordinary. Praise him. He triumphed for us. So rejoice in the hero. And then the second thing will be resist. Just resist temptation. He has triumphed. But here is also a pattern we can follow. Resist temptation. Now, just to clarify, being tempted is not sin. All of us are tempted in various ways every day, I imagine. How we respond, that is the issue here. How do you respond to temptation? How are you going to resist? Uh, a number here will know. I um, Months ago, I went and saw uh, uh, Hamilton, the musical, with my family, and um, I absolutely loved it. And um, pathetically, well, not pathetically, suitably obsessed uh, with it. And uh, if you engage me on the matter, you'll regret it. Uh, for I will bore you. And um, I've wasted far too much of the RAM in my memory learning the songs. And um, it's a complete waste of time. Well, not complete. It's quite good. Uh, but I'm sort of mildly obsessed with it. One of the... Um, in one sense, there's, I mean, you don't need to know much of the plot. But a key part of the plot is uh, he has an affair this great man, and he was a great man in many ways, but he has an affair. And there's a moment the, uh, the, in the musical, it's done very well, the song, it's very clever. Uh, his family are away, they've gone upstate, they're on holiday. He's working away in New York, he's working very long hours. He's very stressed about the work he's got on. He's full of self-pity because he can't find enough allies to help him get the work done, get his vote through. Uh, Congress, stressed, exhausted, knackered. And along comes a woman who uh, he helps. She's a damsel in distress, so appeals to his sort of good heart and then leads him to bed. And uh, he just sings this song, Lord, I don't know how to say no to this. Teach me how to say no to this. I won't give you the rest, the rest of it. Um, uh, but... Um, he doesn't. And the play pulls no punches because it just gives you the history. He destroys his, he has this affair, he destroys his family, he ruins his reputation, his career is over, and he never goes on to be president, which he would have done. So there's no uh, 
papering over the damage it does. But he says, how do I say no? And for you and me, how do we say no? And you've got to be realistic. You're most vulnerable when you're tired, when you're stressed, when you're exhausted, when you're full of self-pity. All these things feed in. They make us vulnerable. How do you say no? What do we learn from Jesus? Let me give you three little things and we're done. The first would be this. Just expect temptation. Expect it. Don't be naive if you're a Christian or not. Don't forget the unwearying malice of Satan who longs to keep people from a relationship with the Lord. He longs to get Christians and non-Christians, wherever you stand before the Lord, but the devil longs to get you to doubt God's goodness. To say in your head, can I trust the Lord? Has he got good things for me? Can I just not make life easier on myself? Why do I have to go for self-denial? Just expect it. It will come. Just think of the titles the Bible gives for the devil. A real, you have to, if you believe in God, accept a real, supernatural, malevolent being. What are the titles the Bible will give him? Well, he's more crafty than any other creature, Genesis 3. He's a liar and the father of lies, John 8. He's a murderer, John 8. He's a schemer, Ephesians 6. He's a roaring lion seeking to devour, 1 Peter 5. So don't be naive. Wherever you stand before the Lord, you will be tempted to doubt that God is good. You will be tempted to avoid any form of self-denial. And you will be tempted to take the path of least resistance and comfort. You will. So just expect it. Don't be naive. That'd be the first. Expect it. Expect temptation. Uh, secondly, expose the lie. What does Satan do here? He makes suggestions and casts doubts. Does God really love you? I mean, you best test him out. Let's throw yourself from a building just to make sure he does. Does God really love you? Or why don't you just make your life easier? Come drop a meal, Jesus. Why did you do that? Casts doubts and makes suggestions. And you and I will hear the same whispers. Can't really trust God to make you happy. You'll be far happier if you ignore him. Comes all the time. None of the devil's suggestions are nuts. Are they? I mean, they all seem such small things. You're hungry. Turn stones into bread. Well, it's not a big deal, is it? Really? Um, you know, you're, you're God, and he says he'll protect you. The Bible says he'll protect you, so just let him give an opportunity to do that. doesn't seem nuts. Are oh, you going to inherit the kingdoms of the earth? Why not just have them now? Why, you know, delayed gratification, that's for boring people. Just do it now. I mean, none of those things seem completely nuts. There's a subtlety to temptation, but you have to expose the lie. The devil will appeal for short-term gratification 